Training for Ultra, Ultra Running Stories from the Middle of the Pack. My book is now available on Audible and iTunes, so feel free to check it out. Really appreciate it. Big thank you to the podcast supporters. Would like to thank Destination Trail, Ultimate Direction, Sufferfest Beer, Exoskin, and Hammer Nutrition. Extra shout out to Lucky Poles and Kogala. Thank you guys. Welcome to Training for Ultra. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And I appreciate your guys' support. We have a cool episode, episode 101, with Michael McKnight and Ben Light, two really well-respected names within the ultra-running community, especially those longer distances. These guys really excel. So I'm not going to go over all the course details with you here on my personal Bigfoot 200 kind of course preview and my thoughts before I go into the Triple Crown. I want to remind myself going into Bigfoot and the Triple that it wasn't long ago that I couldn't run one mile. I need to remember what it felt like, how painful it was hitting 0.8 miles and just not being able to do something that I felt like would change my life. And I need to be thankful for the time that I was able to lose 50 pounds by changing my diet and how that weight coming off alleviated a lot of the stress on my my legs and allowed me to run. And I'm very thankful to have found the ultra running and trail running communities. I think I really, really associate and really just love the people um, within this community that we have. We're very fortunate. And training for ultra, it was somewhat popular just because I was taking one photo of each run and, you know, people were supporting that. And I think they got it that this single photo was getting me outside. It sometimes, there were a lot of days where I didn't want to go run in those first few months. And by grabbing my phone and telling myself, well, we have to get out for one photo to just post it on Instagram. It was it was um, popular, but Training for Ultra took off when it became about more than my running. When it became about motivating other people that change for the better as possible. And that I'm sort of living proof that you can lose weight, you can have two kids and still mostly balance out a a full-time job with, you know, getting in some miles every now and then and being able to go to events and and have fun from the middle of the pack to back of the pack that it's not just the elites and the faster guys that are running ultras that your everyday working parents can, can still squeeze this in. Um, my time management hasn't been wonderful <laughs> between writing a book and doing a weekly podcast and doing films and everything else on the side. But um, it's very feasible for any of us to squeeze in a few lunch runs or, or early runs or however you figure it out. You don't need 100-mile weeks to train for a 100-miler. So this leads me to my why why I'm doing the Triple Crown at 200s this year. 
And it took me some time after the Moab 240 to really feel that spark of inspiration, of motivation. But the second I figured out that the Triple Crown was what I wanted to do, I've focused on it every day. I put it on a chalkboard right next to the coffee pot, so you know I'm seeing it every day, um, every morning. And I like testing my personal limits. I like exploring that facet. I like to motivate you guys that, because I really try to talk about longer distances so that the 50K distance isn't as intimidating because I know we have a lot of new ultra runners that listen to this show and I like I like how once you start talking to people about longer distances like 200 miles or 240 that it it kind of breaks this uh, mentality that you know 50k or 50 miler is impossible because I've been there like Moab 2 or not Moab Mohican 50 miler I was scared to death of that race and it turned out to be 14 hours, I think, and just an amazing experience. Really got to taste the community for what it really is at that event. And that's what I'm all about is, um, you know, if you do smart training, you understand hydration, nutrition, like there's no reason you can't go out and, and be a part of this community and enjoy it because life's too short. You know, I had my dad's health scare. And I quickly realized how valuable time is. It doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter your financial resources. We all have a ticking clock. So I value time more than anything. And my why recently has changed. My why was altered before Moab 240 when we thought my son had cancer it's in the book we thought there was probably a 50 50 chance that our newborn matt had some type of cancer we were fortunate but what the world doesn't realize is i was talking every day at work with a mom that had just been through cancer treatments for her daughter and so um we talked a lot she was very empathetic for our situation really helpful and she had gotten through this Uh, her daughter Celia had had a brain tumor removed and yeah she was I think once I got that message that Matt was okay I immediately was talking to her so she helped kind of get me through a potentially like life-changing moment Um, it was just incredibly helpful. And so at the beginning of this year, out of nowhere, a doctor in, in Texas, there's only three specialists that, or doctors, offices, uh, nationwide that work on this particular type of tumor because it's so rare. There's never been really much research into histiocytosis when it's in the brain because theoretically again it shouldn't even exist but Robin came to me well she came to everyone and and told that you know her daughter had another brain tumor and that 
this eight-year-old girl, Celia, is going to be basically forced to pull out of uh, fourth grade and spend the entire year either in, in chemotherapy treatments at the doctor's office or at home recovering from the treatments and really won't be getting to live a typical eight-year-old life. So it was, it was pretty devastating news for their family. It really upset me. And it was the moment where I decided I had to help the situation. Like it just, um, I decided this was something that I couldn't just stand by idly and watch. That I have to do something. Um, and Robin and I talked and I'm not necessarily trying to change their condition. I think it's nice to help them feel like they're paying it forward also so that if there's another child that has this exact, you know, rare brain cancer that there is some kind of understanding of what's going on. But histiocytosis tumors can be found all over the body and there isn't actually much funding into this research that needs to be done. And having children with this, having some of like the most innocent humans I've ever seen, you know, looking through videos and pictures, it's just totally heartbreaking. And I'm willing to put myself out there and raise money for this, this cause. It's very important to me, especially with my personal close call with my son, Matt, and now, you know, a close coworker of mine. And just hearing the daily stories of what they're struggling with. So I I work for a finance company. They are the second largest 401k provider in the U.S. Uh, the company's name is Empower. And I presented to a few people there that I would take Moab 240, had the additional miles, and I would run a 401k for cancer research. They really like the idea. They like the idea that um, not only are they a 401k company, but internally you have um, one associate helping another associate. And this is a, a real important cause, obviously, and um, they're fully supporting it. They're, they want me to go 100% for it. They're supporting Robin and her family and Celia. And so we're going for it. We're going to raise raise money for this cause. I'm going to add on the extra miles, likely at the end of Moab 240. And the initial reception was huge. I, I had the opportunity to present internally at a, uh, a meeting with you know, 50, 7,500 people that I all I work with and seeing their reaction. I mean, most of them might not have been aware of ultra running and that you can even run beyond a marathon. So the idea of 250 miles is sort of mind-blowing. But um, most importantly, I think Empower's just going to be hugely supportive in getting the word out nationally. And we're going to point everyone to a single resource that, you know, you guys can make donations if you feel like you want to. You don't have to. Um, and 
I'm going to be really ambitious with what I'm trying to raise here. This is not one of those, I don't do anything halfway. So I'm setting the goal of $100,000 as the floor. And really what my goal is, is $401,000 for this cause, which would be 401k. So I'm running a 401k to raise money for cancer research. Hopefully we can raise 401k and make a difference and this will all be worth it if i can help one or two three families that have this situation it's worth me putting myself out here putting it all out on the on the line and and just doing what i can to to raise the awareness of histiocytosis tumors and how we need to devote more resources towards researching it so don't mean to be long-winded, but that is my why for the Triple Crown. That's what I'll be thinking about during Bigfoot, Tahoe, Moab 240. And I think I've talked to a lot of guys that have run the Triple Crown, and they all say the, the why is the most important because you're going to want to quit. There's going to be times that this gets really hard. As you'll hear in this episode, uh, Michael and Ben went through some really, really tough moments. And so for me, middle of the pack guy, you know, I, I, I'm coming to this race in the best shape of my life. I've done everything I can. I have, you know, huge amount of support. All my sponsors, um, have really put themselves out there for me. So the world's supporting this. Now it's time to dig in and really, know why I'm doing this and this is more than just pushing my own limits this is to help people possibly save lives and to um, try to make a difference so that's my summary that's my pre-race thoughts into Bigfoot 200 that's my those are my thoughts into the triple crown and just appreciate you guys Enjoy the episode. And that was a moment I I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live and you're listening to Training for Ultra Podcast. This is Anna Mae Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra Podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. <laughs> I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. <That's> so classic. <laughs> oh my God, because literally thing would be like beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Hi, this is Michael McKnight. And this is Ben Light, and this is Training for Ultra. I'm joined here by Michael McKnight, 
and Ben Light, two of probably the most respected guys within the 200-mile distance and just ultra-running world, for that matter. Thank you guys for joining me. Is this the first time you guys have ever been on the same podcast? No, uh, we. this is probably the third or fourth time, actually. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys ever done a podcast separately, I should have asked? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, let's start with Michael. Do you want to give a shout out to your sponsors? I always like getting these in, um, especially for for guys that are, are out there for majority of what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so I, I run for and also work for Ultra Footwear. Um, and I think that, well, I don't think that I know that a lot of issues that I used to have while running has been corrected ever since I've been uh, faithfully running in Ultra Shoes. So super grateful for the relationship I have with them um, to be a part of them. And then Rudy Project, um, I'm a very blind person, and my contacts uh, a couple years ago kind of started giving my eyes issues, and Rudy Project are, are great glasses to run in. They're very stable, and um, I, I always forget that I'm wearing glasses. They're so good. Uh, Squirrel's Nut Butter, great for the chapers out there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Gnarly Nutrition, um, they, they make great products, not just for running, but for everyday lifestyle, great proteins, great recovery drinks. Um, and then Rabbit, Rabbit Apparel, um, some of the softest apparel out there. I, I have, I'm not sponsored by them, but that is one of the softest shirts I've ever worn. <laughs> like, oh, honestly, we got one for uh, Black Canyon 100K. It's, uh, yeah. it's like wearing a silk shirt almost. <laughs> Yeah, it's so comfortable. Ben, let's let's get you in, man. Okay, um, I'm Ben Light. Um, so some of my uh, some of my sponsors, and I'll just make it real brief because I have a, a fair amount. Um, Ultra Running, obviously, I'm on a, the the red team for Ultra Running. That's probably my longest running sponsor. Uh, Gnarly Nutrition, uh, just like Mike McKnight, we're teammates on Gnarly Nutrition. And um, we're teammates with uh, just I just joined the Squirrels Nut Butter team. Uh, some of the other ones I have is Kogala. I'm an athlete for Kogala, for Amp Human, for Dry Max, for Raid Light, Leaky, Path Projects, uh, Martin Nutrition, uh, Natural Athlete, and then also High Elite. So. I I won't go through each one of them, but I I faithfully use every one of the the brands that uh, sponsor me, um, and I'll put a plug in for Path Projects. Then you guys might have the softest shirts, but I have the softest drawers. Okay. <laughs> and that's Definitely. the episode. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, all right, so. The focus is selfishly on the triple crown of 200s since I am trying for that this year. Signing up for it, it was probably the hardest part of what I've done so far, honestly. And you two have both excelled at the 200-mile distance and you've both accomplished the triple crown of 200s, which is phenomenal. So I wanted to walk through kind of an overview of what that even is and then dig into each race and honestly, just get 
get some good insights that might help me, might help others that are running either all three of them or separately. Um, so what's what's kind of like the best overview? Let's start with, with Ben again. I, what is the Triple Crown in your head? So the Triple Crown is three 200-plus mile races that are all ran within a 60-day period, um, all through different um, mountain uh, environments. And, and Michael, how would you describe it? Um, same way. <laughs> yeah. I, part yeah. of me, um, I wanted to say three of the, the three of the more original 200s, right, Ben? Um, or am I wrong on that? Uh, I would, from point to like a point to point 200s, because there's there's been a fair amount of uh, 200 or plus mile distances that are usually on looped courses. Right. So I would have to say, um, I think they're more of the original in the United States, not outside in, in the United States, point to point. What, what attracted you guys to these races? Cause this is, this is out there even within a community of outsiders. I mean, I, for me, I think all of us in the ultra running community can feel the same way, but like, you know, we, we complete one distance and then um, we want to better ourselves in that distance, but also we're curious to know how far we can push our limits. So, you know, as soon as I saw that there was more than 100 miles, it intrigued me very quickly. And, um, you know, I'm, I wanted to know how I could do at it. And Ben, I, what, what about you? I, yeah, I actually um, signed up for my first 200 before I even completed a 100-mile distance interesting enough wow. um what happened was is it's kind of different is i ended up pacing uh one of my uh, friend lauren at the very first tahoe 200 and it ended up pacing her 93 miles of the first tahoe 200 and that gave me the bug that i ran halfway around the lake i wanted to run completely around the lake so i uh signed up for the the next year tahoe 200 um, with the agreement that I'd complete a hundred and, and, uh, before, before the event. Oh yeah. You have that. Re- well, was that a requirement or I'm trying to remember Yet at originally the first two or three years of the, of the Tahoe 200 and the Bigfoot 100, the first year, uh, I believe she had the requirement of a hundred and then she opened it up and or took down the, the requirement and opened it up to anyone that wanted to sign up. Ben, how many 200s have you finished? Finished uh, seven. 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 And then what about you, Michael? Just three. Just, yeah, just just three. <laughs> so 11 or 10. Um, that's amazing. That's a lot of experience between the two of you guys. Um, so what is – because I get this question all the time and people – question like whether i'm doing enough mileage to get ready for a 200 in general let alone the triple and i'm like you know you don't need to totally kill yourself i threw in a a few hundred k's and a hundred miler at uh, bighorn it's just kind of tuning up trying to get ready you know i needed those longer efforts obviously but what type of training do you guys recommend just thirty thousand foot view getting ready for any 200 and then how do you tweak your training for the triple crown? Um, 
I'll go, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and so before continuing, I would, I, I would say that Ben is a lot more experienced with this distance than I am. Um, I, a lot of my training has been me pick has come from me picking his brain about it. Um, but for me, the thing that I've found out the most with the 200 mile distance is that you need to incorporate power hiking a lot more into your training. Um, because, you know, you're obviously running a lot of it, but there's also going to be points where, um, if you're not a good power hiker, um, you're going to lose a lot of time. Uh, because frankly you can you can finish pretty quickly if you can just power hike instead of doing that slow death hike that a lot of runners end up doing um so especially lately this past month i've been doing a lot more power hiking um mostly on all of the ups in my training runs so i think that that's a very important aspect that a lot of people might not think about just throwing a, a western states too to like kind of <laughs> Yeah, that's check uh, fitness. <laughs> okay, check. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes for the triple. <laughs> <laughs> ben, how about you? How do you get ready for two hundred? Well, uh, just like what Mark was saying, um, I would, I'll, I'll say two things. I'll say it from two aspects. On a physical aspect, the hiking is definitely super important. Um, anyone that reaches out to me, I'll let them know. Depending on which two hundred they're doing because all three of them are uniquely different, is the percentage of vertical gain, basically the percentage of mileage that you're going to be going uphill um, within that 200-mile distance, whether it's like 40%, 50%, 60%, you need to be in, put in, injecting that into your training per week. So whatever your mileage per week, whether it's uh, a 45-mile week or an 80-mile week or whatever – the percentage needs to be somewhat equal in hiking to running, which is really hard to do for some because anytime you hike, you increase the time. So your training volume of time goes up, but in the end, you're going to do so much better and executing it. And you're going to be so much happier because utilizing the muscles for hiking versus running, they're completely different. And if you can, if you can strengthen your hiking muscles, you can save your running muscles. So when you do crest that hill or you come to a flat or you come to a downhill, you're not so trashed that the sad thing is, is that second hundred or this, even the latter part of the hundred, you see so many people even walking downhill because they're just so trashed. They didn't, they, they ran all their miles and did incorporate hiking. And, and once those hiking muscles just are completely trashed they slow way down um and you'll start to see if you watch the progression uh, the timeline of a race um those last 50 miles could even take as long as the first 100 miles yeah, depending on the person's training and how trashed they are uh se second is the mental um this is 100 percent mental i mean even 100 even 100 is mental but there's so much mental involved with the 200s. That's that's why I have fallen in love with this because it is a complete mind game. Yeah. And uh, you need to go into your 200 with your why as a rock and a foundation to what drives you. Why are you doing this? Because there's going to be countless times that you're going to want to tap out 
And countless times you're going to wonder why you're doing this. And you better have that why established before even starting because those you're going to you're, you're those layers, mental layers are going to decay and and be torn down. And you're going to have to drive and push past those barriers utilizing that why. So establishing that why to drive you forward. And when you're going into the when you go into the 200s, go in healthy and happy. When I say that is healthy as in physically, but healthy mentally and happy mentally. So happy with why you're doing it, happy within your relationships and in your work and everything like that. If you are a happy person and you can keep that that attitude of gratitude within you, it'll drive you. It'll drive you more than your physical ability because if you can stay happy and 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 moving forward it's just gonna it's the it, the result is going to be in your performance that's really good advice so let's talk about bigfoot 200 you know i look at the course profile and it looks pretty flat um <laughs> but it's it's stretched out over 206 miles so that forty-two thousand feet of gain is outrageous um it's intimidating I mean, honestly, I, I look at this race and I'm like, it's basically like doing CCC like three times at least. <laughs> like I, I just, I'm having trouble even comparing it to stuff because it's such an outlier and the, the trails appear from like the video I'm reviewing pretty technical. There's a lot of river crossings. How would you guys describe this race? And it's in Washington state, by the way, and it sort of circumnavigates it's Mount St. Helens, right? Yeah. Yep. How, how would you guys, Michael, how would you describe Bigfoot? Um, in my opinion, it's definitely the hardest out of the three. Uh, but that being said, it's the one that I liked the most out of the three. Um, just because you get such a vast um, variety of different features on this race. Um, starting out when you're going through Mount St. Helens, you're going through the blast zone. And um, that, that can be a hot section, which kind of... Um, is a beating right right early on but it's so unique it's not like anything i've ever seen just because it's so so bouldery um you almost feel like you're on another planet there's like no life um and then a few miles well not a few miles but like you know 30 35 miles after that all of a sudden you're in a green area you're going around a lake you're climbing a steep rocky uh, but foresty climb so it, it's really cool and then there's a point of the race too um i'm sure ben knows what it's called but you get to the top and you can see uh helen mount st helens mount rainier mount adams and mount hood um so it's just the scenery is spectacular and the climbs are super steep but they just happen all at once so um uh, even though you're climbing a lot, I would say you're still able to run a lot of it too, just because it happens in such short periods of time, short and steep, and then continue onward. Nice. Um, that's yeah. That's a little reassuring, I guess. Uh, I, mean, I could be speaking wrong. That's a, that's how I interpreted it and how I remember it. Yeah, I'm having flashbacks to talking to another elite about. I think it was Black Canyon's totally runnable. I think he said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, I guess that's all relative. So, um, uh, Ben, how, how would, that's comforting. <laughs> um, Ben, how would you describe Bigfoot? Oh, it's pure adventure. I mean, if 
You, you know why Bigfoot's hiding there? It's just because it's so lush and so green and so thick. It's literally like the canopy over your head. Um, it Just like Mike said, there's such a, ver, a vast difference in terrain um, that you get to go through throughout that 200 miles. Um, I, I prefer the ups and the downs. Um, I'm not a, as big of a fan of a, as a lot of flat and running. That's actually... Uh, a slow waterboarding to, in, my, in my mind. Uh, that's for wimps, right? I mean, <laughs> no, it's not mountain no, like, running. <laughs> no, re, re, I'm like, I, I look forward to the ups. Like, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty powerful hiker. And so my, my, actually my heart rate will come down when I'm hiking up versus, you know, uh, running the flat. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, but a lot of vert, um, and uh, just just beautiful. I mean, it's easy to be happy and and just be awestruck. And and then if you're lucky enough to run by uh, the waterfalls of um, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Lewis. Uh, is it Lewis? I can't I can't sure. remember. Um, I know I, I understand. Uh, but um, yeah, if you're able to you know run by the the waterfalls of uh yeah lewis river uh they're amazing if you get if you if you get it in the daytime if you hit it at night you'll hear the the rushing water and you'll hear the the waterfalls but you you won't be able to see them but they're, I, they're amazing. I like that even um even at nighttime just like the it wakes me up for some reason i don't know why i i experienced that at bighorn um and so is it true that i'm going to be crossing rivers like every so often and my feet are just going to get absolutely destroyed at Bigfoot. Is that just, the real name? Like, is that where the real name came from? Your feet are going to be just swollen and uh, enormous afterwards? Or I don't, I didn't get one blister last year. So I'll, or, or the, the triple crown, the year of the triple crown. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. I think a lot of it depends on what you're wearing for sure, but you're absolutely right that your feet are going to be wet a lot. Um, yeah. These are not just like little creeks where if you're lucky, you might be able to find a few rocks to hop on and stay dry. Like they're flat out rivers and there's just no way to go around it. <laughs> and it's going to be interesting because this year they have a lot more, uh, a lot more snowfall up there and a lot more runoff. Um, when me and Mike went through the river right, right past Chain of Lakes um, on our way over to Klickitat, uh, it, was, it was moving pretty good. I was pretty impressed. I mean, a couple of people actually fell down in it. I can't even imagine what it's going to be doing this year. Uh, the first, the first river that you're going to pass right before the blast zone, um, I was able to actually jump completely across it without having to use the rope or or getting uh, getting wet. But a lot of people would just, you know, they they, they use the rope and walk through it. So, this is, go ahead, Michael. I'll say this is a random question for you, Rob. But are you planning on using poles? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I'm a different hiker without poles, I, I realize, the hard way. Um, it's humbling, but I, I really like converting some of that stress onto my upper body. Um, and I've, I, I was a hockey player for quite a few years, so I feel like my upper body can take some of the blunt. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I, do you guys both use poles, I think? Yeah, 100%. Yep. Yep. I mean, would you recommend against using poles at any 200? I think you're an absolute 
uh, idiot if you start off the starting line without pulls. So yeah, many people will like have them put them in their backpacks and like, especially like Tahoe, Tahoe cracks me up. Even, even, even a uh, Bigfoot cracks me up cause you're going straight up the mountain. But like, you'll see so many people have them tucked away and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to take them out later. I'm like every pound you can take off of every step that you make and utilize your upper body to help you. It keeps you more upright. It keeps you breathing better. If you have the upper body strength to actually help project you forward too, you're just, it, it, to, to me, it's just absolutely ridiculous, if, especially if you have them and you're not using them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was the idiot at the beginning of Moab 240. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, that, that stupid move caused me to lose my whole bag of nutrition around mile 20 because I kept putting my poles in and out of my pack. Oh, um, man. So I've, I've decided just leave the poles out. I mean, put them under my armpit or whatever if I don't need them. Um, the funny thing about Ben's comment is I think he's kind of talking about me because I think I was that person that stayed up there. <laughs> is, he, is he still ribbing you for that that win? <laughs> yes. Dude, the, the only way that I could keep up with Mike during any of the 200s is Mike getting sick or having an injury. Oh, so you, you got to, I mean, if you want to, have some fun as you talk about what we went through during our triple crown, because the, 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 the story is, is he runs and completely gets to the aid station, probably like 30 minutes before me, I come in, he's in the chair puking or something like tr- sick as a dog because he was just, he, he had uh, some stomach issues during a uh, uh, Bigfoot that wouldn't let up. And then I would leave the aid station he would pass me halfway to the next aid station, like, like burn by me. I'd pull into the next aid station. He's back in the chair, <laughs> sick as a dog. I'm, I'm having the best race of my life, and he's still passing me on every leg, like leapfrogging each other the entire way. So you're like, playing up a little too much. <laughs> the guy has wheels on him. So. Should I expect to use, like, utilize the rivers at Bigfoot as a water source? Because it seems like things are spread out, and towards the latter part of the race, there's only an aid station every 18 miles, roughly speaking, which doesn't seem like much for the listener, but 18 miles at the end of a 200 can take hours and hours, um, especially when you throw in some vert. How are you guys utilizing, like... The rivers and and what do you think of those aid stations being spaced out? Are you racing or are you? Oh, I'm go- I'm going to be right next to you guys uh, <laughs> at the at the start line. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> I'm just saying, are, are you racing or are you out there just to finish and have I, fun and enjoy the enjoy the ride? I want to get to Moab 240 and feel like confident that I can finish. So I, yeah, I'm not going to hold back, you know, and just hike when I can run. But, um, I, my goal, my only goal is to finish these three races. I would say, take it, uh, take a filter, take the Catadine flask filter and filter when you need to. Uh, she has all the water marked on the course on your map. Uh, keep them into your, uh, GPX file on your watch so you can see them coming up if they're coming up. But, 
the way that I did was I, I'm a, I'm a sweating fanatic, you know, like that's my superpower is the ability to sweat <laughs> and filter water through my, through my body. So I actually require more water than normal. Um, and so I ended up carrying three liters, a three liter bladder, and then a 30 ounce, um, concentrated thing of my electrolytes on my chest during my triple. So I never stopped at anything. I just moved and just drank as much as I wanted for my bladder and I was able to get to each age station. Mike? Um, this is during Bigfoot and Tahoe. I just carried four, um, they say 20 ounces, but I think they're more like 18 ounce bottles. Um, <clears throat> I hate bladders, so I, I have to carry the bottles. Um, and that seemed to last me. Um, four I sweat. Of them? Yeah, four of them seemed to last me. Wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, that might have been why I had stomach issues. Maybe I wasn't getting enough water and electrolytes. But um, for Moab, I did end up buying one of those soft flask filters that Ben was talking about. Um, ironically, there wasn't really any river crossing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I do plan on carrying that with me this go around and, you know, I'll use it when I need it. That's funny. Um I mean, what was, for, for both you guys, what was your favorite part of Bigfoot and least favorite? And then we'll hopefully kind of keep moving through some of the other races. Yeah, Ben. Mm, favorite part of Bigfoot, uh, just just the pain and the uh, the scenery and the fact that it was probably my my best overall race for the my like sticking to the plan and the plan executing well. Nice. What what was your your least favorite part of that? It, like it was pain your favorite? I'm sorry, I totally. <laughs> it it well pain obviously comes with a with a lot. Your of, least uh, favorite? Or... No, no, that that I'm was sorry. the pain cave is not something to be to 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 be feared. The pain cave sometimes actually brings a lot of endorphins. So let's just say it that way. Uh, My least favorite part, uh, so coming down off of, um, out of Twin Sisters, you come off of the uh, Pompeii Peak um, out and back. That's going to be their last uh, peak that you hit. Um, There had to have been so many trees that had fallen. Like, I I, I can't, like, do you remember that, Mike? It was just like, were we hurtling trees after trees after trees? Yeah, it seemed like there was like a tornado that just barely went through there. I mean, we were, and like to be that fatigued, and you're, and these aren't little trees. I'm talking about, wait till you see the trees, the size of the trees, and you're like trying to get over them, and uh, you're about to be in, you know, like stabbed by all the broken branches. And we were in a hurry because we were, we were trying to go, you know, we went up, what went sub 70. And so we were really trying to chase the clock and stuff like that. So, Mike, what about you? Um, the least favorite part for me, and this is not necessarily speaking to the course, but just the year that we did it was the year that there was a lot of forest fires around in the area. And so I spoke earlier about like the best part of the course being a point where you can see Rainier, Adams, Hood, and, and Mount St. Helens. But 
the year that I raced it, I didn't even get to see that because by the time I got to that point, there was so much smoke that everything but what it might have been hood was covered. So it was just a little disappointing to not be able to see as much of the scenery because of the smoke. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that, if that speaks really to the Bigfoot course. Um, definitely what Ben was saying about the trees being down was really annoying at that part of the race. Um, couldn't really get into a groove because we were crawling under trees, climbing over trees, and trying to find the trail. Um, then my favorite part of Bigfoot... Um, I have to say all of it, honestly, like that, even though it it sucked for me because of how much I was puking at first, um, it's such a beautiful course. And I mean, I'm sure after you finish it next weekend that you're going to be able to say the same thing because it's just the cascades are surreal and, you know, every, every ultra runner needs to get out there to see him. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I've heard a lot of people say that it's the hardest like i think one of you guys said even at the beginning it's the hardest and then it's also like the most beautiful and one of their favorites so i'm super excited for it it's going to be a challenge that pretty much like nothing else i've ever tried because i'm going solo without pacers or crew um i'll have a camera guy but that's pretty much it that's uh that's solid (laughs) yeah Yeah. i i want that experience so good for you good for you um so what was your guys sleep like during that race did you guys sleep at all in because under 70 you can kind of push the envelope you can pull a john kelly type finish um did you sleep much at all guys this is definitely a person by person um topic but because ben and i are very different in this category as well but um i i would at first I would try to sleep like you know I have my splits I have my document that I gave to my crew like when I come to this aid station I'm going to try to sleep for 45 minutes to an hour so the first night um, I would try that but the type of person I am um, in life I didn't think this would relay over to the 200s because I thought I'd be so dead tired that I'd be able to turn the switch off but my brain just always turned so as soon as I'd lay down to try and take a nap I'd start worrying about who was catching up to me and you know if I'd wake up feeling worse than I was like so I ended up not being able to sleep when I'd plan on it so I would just get to the point where I would run and run and run until I was falling asleep while I was running and then I would set an alarm on my phone for 10 to 20 minutes and lay down on the side of the trail and take a quick power nap and get up and keep going nice I've heard I've heard those work pretty well. Um, ben, what about you? I'm a sleeper. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy my sleep. I got a setup on my 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 wife cruised me with the Jeep, and I have a I call it the Ultra Penthouse. It's a tent that sits on top of my Jeep, and and uh, every night I do an hour and a half. And so, how the heck, uh, how the heck do you get up there with like dead <laughs> legs? Oh man. See, it's just dangerous. I, I have I have this system down after seven. I mean, I've done nine, but I've completed seven. I have the system down, so like I I have that all down. So I'll even have my Normatec boots up there. So you know, I climb up. I basically this is what the routine would be. So I sleep an hour and a half once a night, and so that's usually three hours for the whole thing. So it's two nights 
two overnights, and I, so I sleep three hours. Uh, in those hour and a half, you can get uh, two REM cycles, um, and uh, that's what you need to really function. And um, so I will come into the aid station, eat some food, ch- uh, try to use the restroom, change my clothes, get up into my uh, the tent, and throw on the boots and set the alarm. My wife will set her the alarm. She wakes me up at a, uh, an hour and a half after I've slept. And then um, she'll have some food for me. I'll pound some more food. Um, and now I'm all ready to go. And I'll just get out and, and pretty much keep, you know, you, you're ba- you, you, and you already know this, how tight in, after even, even passing 100 miles, you're so tight. Every time you stop, it's like breaking rust off your body to yeah. try to get get going again, and so you just start off with a nice, a <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice power hike. Get the blood flowing, get the the feet weight woken up, the legs, and then work your way into going back to to running. But um, yeah, you have to, especially that first night. It's very humbling because you stick to that game plan, and there's so many people that just try to push through that first night. And so, you know, me and Mike. Um, we'd be in the top 10 or something like that. And I'd go to sleep and wake up and I'm like back 50, 50 positions. But, um, what the result would be, would be the way that I would move people that push through the first night and into that second day. They don't realize how slow they are moving because of the lack of sleep. And so then I, I would just overtake everybody. And that's kind of fun because every time you come around a different corner, then all of a sudden you'd get a, a glimpse at somebody up there and you're like, Oh, you know, somebody else. And it just kind of motivates you. How many people, you know, am I going to get on this section or something like that? And then again, second night, take a power nap again, or, you know, an hour and a half sleep, wake up your, your positions behind, but you're just picking them off. And me and Mike, we saw, you know, come the third night. So my rule I tell everybody is, is, you can do no sleep if you're going to go sub 60. Sub 60, you can go through two nights, but the third night, you better you better be finished before the lights go out. <laughs> you know, the third yeah. night. Yeah. Or I've you heard. you're going to you're going to be in a you you don't even know where you are. <laughs> yeah. uh, me and Mike came across a girl. Um, she was first female. And, uh, she, it was, it was pretty scary. Like she was, she was in another reality and, uh, we were, we were really worried for her. It's like, uh, I've kind of theorized just on my one experience at Moab T40, like there's two levels, hopefully only two. It's like inception almost like there's two levels of hallucinations, like one where you actually realize what's going on. And then that second level's like you don't even realize you're hallucinating, which is really scary in my opinion. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Spe- yeah. Um, that's interesting. And I mean, just while we're on the topic, did you guys hallucinate during the triple when you guys did it? Was, was there a, like a built-in fatigue that kicked in in Moab as opposed to like Tahoe or Bigfoot? Go Mike. Um, Mine, I did hallucinate, but mine was more random. Like, I hallucinated at Bigfoot, not at Tahoe, and then again at Moab, but it was never to the point where I was so deep that I didn't realize I was hallucinating. I, I knew it was happening, and it's funny to to talk about now, and to my pacer recorded one of the times I hallucinated, so it's funny to go back and look at that, but 
it's definitely a different experience and it's crazy. It, it helps you realize how bad it can be if you let it go deep. Yeah. How about you, Ben? You, you've done a few of these. You've, you've probably had a hallucination or two, but was there any deep level fatigue doing the triple that hit hallucinations or? Yeah, I didn't have a, so and during the triple, you always have the little things. The little things are, oh, that stump looks like this or that tree looks like this, but then you get closer and it's not. And you know that it's not, even though it looks like it is. Yeah. So those are that, that's like that first level of just it's mild. It's like a half level, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a half yeah, level. Yeah. My biggest thing was I was going through the LaSalle's at, at Moab and my pacer was having a conversation with me and we were moving pretty good, but it was I was pretty tired and I was planning to uh, take my a uh, 90 minute nap at Uha Lake. And so I was just getting to that end and my mind knew that I was getting close to it. But the conversation that he was having with me, it was like deja vu. I knew exactly what he was going to say next. Yeah. And um, we've had the conversation before, like clear as day. This, he was telling me a story about his past and I could like literally finish what he was going to say in the story and it freaked him out and it freaked me out. It was almost like I I've like, actually experienced that exact thing. Yeah. Um, so like the universe, you know? Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I, yeah, the deja vu thing kicks in too. just even like, like the course starts looking similar. Like you hit that kind of fatigue level, but it's funny you say that. Cause going into Ua Lake was where I had, some serious the 10 miles in with that climb uh things got really weird uh so let's move on to to tahoe 200 you guys have both races ben it seems like this is one of your favorite races is that correct I knew yeah you... i've done it i've Go done ahead. it four and a, four and a half times now if you count my 93 miles of the first year and then i've completed it the last four years so so does this race yeah. go all the way around lake tahoe yeah so it's like three, I'd even say it's the majority of it's the Tahoe Rim Trail. And then um, there's the section around uh, Desolation. Desolation is a, an area in the southwest side of Tahoe where it consists of the Rubicon and everything. And so um, it actually goes out and around the Rubicon to Loon Lake and then takes the Pony Express back over and, and joins back up with the Pacific Crest Trail tahoe rim trail area by sierra tahoe michael how how were you feeling going into tahoe after bigfoot was your 30 days enough to recover yeah i you know i mentally felt refreshed and um i, I was really excited because i i dived into a little bit of my nutritional issues at bigfoot and thought i had a good grasp on that which i did um so i was i felt really good but um, I, I would say Tahoe was the worst for me in the end result because I had a lot of IT band issues. Um, you know, I'm not sure where that's from. It could have been from doing 200 miles a few days or a few weeks before that. But um, I, d I definitely had some issues that, that popped up mid-race that um, I wasn't expecting, but it makes sense now that I look back at it. In how would you guys describe the trails compared to Bigfoot? Are they more buffed out? Are they more technical, less technical? I've heard some of the start of Tahoe's actually pretty rocky and techy for like 40 miles. 
It was from one of the two of you guys. One of your videos, I know, I, I recall, like, the first section being more loose rock or something like that. Um, is that true? And, like, how was the climbs versus Bigfoot? The first part, so the first, like, eight, six to ten miles um, is the same as the last six to ten miles. It's like a big lollipop. Um, and so you, you start and climb up a, a ski resort hill. And it's definitely going up. It didn't seem as rocky as it did as when we were coming down. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's mile two, 200 and you're coming down a really steep ski hill. So the first part's rocky, but then the Rubicon section, I believe is what it's called that Ben mentioned is that's pretty rocky. It's a, it's a pretty intense Jeep trail that you're going through. That's, that's the trail, right, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah. And how were the climbs? Are they longer? Are they like shorter and steeper? It's just it's interesting to try to compare the two. Well, um, so let's just that section that you go through the uh, desolation and you got the Rubicon. You're going to deal with more four wheel drive trails just to get an idea. It's four wheel drive trails, so you got big rocks that they they drive over with their tires, and then you got little rocks that are in between it, and then a lot of soot. And um, that's going to be in there. There are a few sections in that area that actually have some single track and they're actually just really normal, you know, hiking single tracks. But once you get through to Sierra at Tahoe and then you even have some road section, you know, coming off of joining up some trails and stuff. But once you get to Sierra at Tahoe and you get on the main uh, uh uh, uh, well-kept trails of Lake Tahoe. These trails are made to have uh, mountain bikes also uh, go on them. So more uh, longer switchbacks, uh, a little bit more of the, uh, I, I like to call it like beach sand intermixed with it because um, it's the granite rock that's crushed. And so it's more sandy and stuff. And then you do have rocks, but compared to Bigfoot, completely different. Bigfoot is like deer trail compared to the nice wide upkept Tahoe rim trail that mountain bikes and uh, day hikers frequent so often. Um, and um, you'll have other sections that there might be some road, there might be some connector trail. You got like the power line section coming out of incline <laughs> village that um, it's pretty much uh, it, it was just to connect, you know, one point to another. And that's the quickest most direct route and it's just pretty much climbing a, a hill right underneath some power lines and it's pretty pretty steep but you know it's only you know two but two thousand feet in one mile <laughs> so jeez, oh, that'll be a yeah, quick, that'll be a quick one yeah it, it it if you can hit it at night that's fantastic if yeah. you hit it in the heat of the sun in the daytime i'm i'm sorry you're just gonna be <laughs> you're love- gonna I love those climbs at night. Like you can't really see the top a lot of times. So you just keep kind of chugging along. Like yeah. just look at your five five feet of light in front of you. Or this yeah. time around, it's I'm gonna have a lot more light. But um, so what should I watch out for at Tahoe, and what should I look forward to? And I just want to hear both of your guys' opinions. Watch out for. Um... Uh, I don't know what to watch out for. Just, (laughs) 
you're not gonna you're not gonna come out of the gate after Bigfoot and only having three week three and a half weeks before you start Tahoe. I don't think you're gonna come out of the gate like a bat out of hell, and and you're just gonna go back into Bigfoot mode. That's the funny thing is you're just gonna go. Yeah, and actually, I don't know. This, I think it was the same for Mike because we kind of talked about this after we, we we ran most of Tahoe together, um, also, and uh, the first twenty miles really sucked because. <laughs> <laughs> It was like my body was like not wanting this again, and then finally it made a switch and said, "Okay, let's do let's do this." I give and, in. <laughs> yeah, I give in, and when, I just went back to the, you know, run when you can, hike if you have to, kind of a scenario, and and eat anything in sight. So, you know, uh, I don't I don't know what to watch out for. I've seen it just to 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 not scare you, but because they're really not scary at all. I've seen a bear every time at. At, that I've done Tahoe 200. So I didn't so, know that. So the logo, yeah. the logo makes sense. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, what's your favorite part of the of Tahoe 200, though, Ben? Mm, the fact that you're going to run completely, 100% around that lake. Yeah. When you, you have you been to Tahoe it's, yet? It's satisfying. Uh, yeah, I was in Squaw Valley and and for oh, yeah. like the That's start right. of states there, but. Did you go over and see Tahoe while you were there? Uh, honestly, we we made a grocery run, and I could see oh, okay. the lake, but we didn't get to explore it all. Um, I figured <clears throat> I figured I'd have plenty of time in September. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. but it looks beautiful. Like it I is. love that area so much. From a from a mind game, it's it's pretty pretty remarkable to stand there and look across it and go, okay, I'm running completely around this, and not just around it. There's going to be some points that I'm going to be two mountain ranges yeah. away from the lake and still be going around those mountain ranges and That's then amazing. coming back and then completing it. It's yeah, it's it's very satisfying once once you complete it and and look at the size of it. I mean, and then it's cool because like after running for one full day, you'll be halfway around the lake and you'll look across and you're like, I was over there yesterday. And I'm still moving and I'm, you know, and then to watch the sun go up and down, you know, two times or three times, however long it takes you, it's, it's pretty incredible. That's, yeah, that's the most mind blowing thing ever. I think, I think for Moab, I saw four sunrises, but I, I would have to go back and check. It was just like mind blowing amount of sunrises and sunsets. Um, Michael, what was, what, what should I watch out for at, at Tahoe and what should I look forward to? I mean, the thing to watch out for, and I, this might be more generic thing for anybody doing Tahoe. I don't know if this would apply as much to you if you're not going to have a crew, but Tahoe is the, out of all of them, it's the most easy, it's the, it's the race that's easiest to crew. Um, you're by the city a lot, you're by um, civilization and life a lot. Um, so I would say that if you're not all there mentally at Tahoe, it's a lot easier to get in the car with your crew and leave um, and call it a day. Whereas like something like Bigfoot, you're so remote out there that yeah. yeah, a lot of times where it's like, oh, if I'm going to quit right here, I have to sit in the car for four hours before I would get back to a hotel or something like that. So I think just having access to the city of Tahoe um, makes it a little bit easier to bail out if things ever go wrong. Um, so, you know, I know you don't have a crew, but I'd still say that that's something to watch out for. 
Well, I'm, uh, I'm doing no crew just for Bigfoot to start off and <laughs> okay. might might be adjusting afterwards, but I want that experience, you know, because it's so wild and remote. I feel like that just makes sense. Um, but yeah, we'll see. That's, that's really good advice, though. That's interesting. What, what did you like most about Tahoe? Um, definitely what Ben said that, like, it's really cool to be into day two and even day three and get to a point where you can see the lake and look across and be like, okay, that's a, that's where I started two days ago and I'm all the way over here. So from a progression standpoint, I, I liked being able to see how much I've progressed in the race. And I know that's a two edged sword that sometimes you could realize how far you haven't progressed in the race and that could really eat you up. But the LaSalle's that never come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but two, and I wanted to say this is more for all of the races that I really, really enjoyed, but the aid stations that these 200s are phenomenal. Um, That's exactly and, where I wanted to go, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk food and, and aid stations and hydration before we even move on to Moab. So let's hear it. Let's. What's your strategy or what do you like about those aid stations? Well, the volunteers, for one, are phenomenal. Um, yeah. I mean, they're volunteering to be there for such a long time since this is such a much longer distance. But Candace does such a good job, too, at providing some really good food options at these um, aid stations, making it sometimes too hard to to leave. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, she has burgers at them. And pe- well, was it pizza, or did you get your own pizza, Ben? I got my own pizza. Oh. <laughs> Just- just Domino's delivers out in the that, middle of Bigfoot. Uh. No, no, the, that's the benefit of Tahoe. That's that's the benefit of Tahoe. That's not Bigfoot or Moab. That's only Tahoe. That's good to know. That and I wouldn't even need a crew technically. And you have cell service. You could with with Uber with Uber Eats now. You, if you could time it, you could probably order and and have it delivered to the aid station pull a little carno like running I'm... running with a giant pizza rolled up oh man <laughs> i can i can send send you over some pictures of me eating a whole i mean at, Ta- at tahoe city i ate a whole large pizza i ate a hamburger and a, and a slurpee all before i left <laughs> if you if you go at like a big a bigfoot a bigfoot i ate 11 cheeseburgers <laughs> So, um, if you go away hungry from any aid station, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> that has to be a world record. Most cheeseburgers during a single race. I mean, I contact Guinness. Like, that's eleven. That's crazy. Um, and that's only that's only starting from cold water. So from mile four, I guess that's forty. To and we didn't have time to eat anything at Owen. So from mile from. 40 at, at cold water to click a tat, 11 cheeseburgers. So, and Michael, what's your go-to food? Or is it different, like, depending on how you're feeling? It's different depending on how I'm feeling. Um, yeah. I did do a fair amount of bunless burgers. Um, for me, for some reason or another, and I'm finding it out more and more as I've done ultra races, um, but cheese-flavored cheese Pringles are my sweet, like... <laughs> Like, I I think I associate those Pringles with success because at Bigfoot, when I had my stomach issues, I couldn't eat or hold anything down for the first hundred miles of Bigfoot. Um, I was puking everything up, nothing sounded good. And then I got to mile one or two or four, whatever that aid station is. 
And finally, I felt kind of good and started eating some cheese Pringles. And I ended up eating a whole can and felt amazing and took off. <laughs> so cheese Pringles are my thing at these aid stations. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, and they'll forever be your, your go-to until you have that sick stomach after a can of, of cheese uh, Pringles. And Well, this go around, I'm actually going to be buying like a big old stash of them to have my crew give to me at all the aid stations and I'll be carrying them with me. Like I'm, I'm going to try to utilize those as much as I can. Honestly, I think I had Pringles. I want to say it was Black Canyon 100K and Pringles are just like really easy to carry too. Um, yeah. they're really convenient. They're salty. Like they have they're enough calories than other chips. Yeah, just, they, they really are. Cause they're like molded or whatever. Like, um, yeah. so in general though, guys, like, is it agreed upon that just, you have to get calories in because of how many hours of effort you're putting in and how big these climbs are. You just essentially can never eat enough calories. Is that yeah. pretty safe to say? Yeah. 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 I think I think you do though too. Like, um, you know, pe- there might be people out there like Ben who can eat a whole pizza at an aid station and be fine and take off. But I think you do need to get a lot of calories in, but you also need to um, pay attention to your digestion because yeah um, if you're if you're making your stomach digest a ton of like too much food in between these aid stations it can really be a pain yeah I, I mean i always try to trickle them in and again this is middle of the pack at best um i used a strategy during moab where we were very strategic on eating before sleep and it works if you're actually sleeping a little bit um because it's downtime so you can take in that burger and like actually have time to digest it before running is that do you guys do the same thing ben it sounded like you kind of do that in terms of before you slip into your your hotel um (laughs) atop atop the (laughs) ultra penthouse you gotta get it right ultra penthouse i I mean (laughs) is it a hundred bucks a night like i'm willing to rent that place out (laughs) right you just got to ask me to crew you, you know, it comes with me. It comes with me. No. Uh, so with nutrition, I like to explain it like this. Uh, the first day it's completely different than the second and third. So the first day it's like your normal, like 50 miler or, you know, hundred K is where you're trickling in X amount of calories, like 125 per hour, or 200 per hour, whatever your routine is to keep that, that pellet, kind of like a pellet stove trickling in, keeping that fire burning. But what happens is, is I always call it turning to ultra mode or like 200 ultra mode is by day two or the next morning, probably after your first sleep or just into day two, something switches because if I was to eat a cheeseburger in the first like 20 miles and then go back out and run, I'd probably be almost sick. Yeah. But, um, once you get past this point, it's almost like a calorie, uh, depletion. Once you, your body hits a calorie depletion and it, and you keep pushing past that, that barrier and not, not quitting all of a sudden your body goes, I need to change. I need to make a change. And all of a sudden I become like a trash compactor when I hit the, uh, when I hit the aid station and then I'm just really not even eating 
in between, I might have some liquid calories in my, in my bottle or in my, in my bladder or something like that. And then every hour I might take, um, maybe a half a bar and chew it up or something like that, or, or some, you know, trail, uh, peanut butter or whatever. Um, but, and then once I get to the aid station, I'll pound another, like, you know, 1500 calories in different, a variety of, of fun stuff and then just do the same thing. So it's like day one, you're like trying not to get sick. Day two, you're just like, it's a free for all. And it's pretty much, you're just, instead of a beer crawl, it's a food crawl from aid station to aid station, you know, like a, like a buffet. I no, I totally, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I had a, I had a crew member at Moab that looked at me. I, I ate a burger in four bites and he's like, Whoa, man, did you just, seriously eat that whole burger because it was like a burger with everything on it um but i i know that that trash compactor mode that you're talking about although i've never had a whole pizza slushy <laughs> burger How, how's that even feel running with that in you? there's no running there's no running coming out of that aid station okay. it takes it takes about a mile and two miles to digest but it's amazing like it'll feel you all the way to the next aid station you know that's yeah, the nice yeah. thing about it and, so and you don't really feel like eating in between that much so it makes sense no. yeah yeah and it gives you more time to run once so, once it's started digesting let's let's finish on moab in terms of the triple crown how should i feel like what what should i expect my body to feel like after being through two grueling 200 milers you might question if you can even do it yeah just i mean it's, it's, I don't know. And I say that it's not necessarily in your head. It will, it is in your head. You're like, do I really, I mean, really want to do this? Cause you're going to, you come out, I mean, for myself, I'm speaking for myself. You come out pretty trashed and then you come out of the next one, even more trashed. And you're dealing with like issues, like say like Mike, Mike had his it flare up on him. And so he was really trying hard to rehabilitate, you know, therapy that it so you know you're about four weeks out from going to another 200 uh at 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 tahoe my uh anterior tibialis is basically my my shins flared up and i went to almost a dead walk for the last 30 miles um and it was like taking branding irons into my shins you know every step that i took just to finish tahoe and uh I was wondering if they were even going to heal in time. And it wasn't, it wasn't even till like almost the week before Tahoe that I could even walk around my house without having pain. I was really concerned and then able to get through. And then even halfway through, or when I got into Uha Lake, I pulled a tendon in the bottom of my foot and ended up having to run the last, you know, 50 miles of, of, uh, Moab with like, you know, a kind of a pulled tendon plantar fasciitis in the bottom of my foot. That so des- that descent was icy. I don't know if it was icy the year you guys did it, but I was the no. whole time. I'm like, my legs are so tight. If I slip and catch myself, I'm going to tear something like, yeah, uh, it was kind of concerning. Um, <laughs> uh, Michael. How- so you just feel trashed. The, my, I guess the, the, you just feel trashed and you, you question if you're going to even be healthy enough to, to complete it. That's, that's the, that's the tough part. I'm excited for it. 
Yeah. I'm a little intimidated actually by that comment. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael, were you the same way? Going into yeah. the web? Yeah, and I think that comment is definitely a lot more applied to going into the race, like the weeks, the, the four weeks between the two races. Um, but for me, like once the race actually started, um, I was pleasantly surprised with how good I felt. Um, between Tahoe and Moab, I spent a lot more time on recovery as compared to what I did between Bigfoot and Tahoe. And so going into Moab, I felt a lot better, and I definitely believe this because I did that. Um, like I, I went to Ben Light, his, you know, sorry, Ben, his wife. Um, she's a massage therapist. I went to her, and she worked on me. I went to a chiropractor. Um, I went swimming at the pool, and that was like my first time swimming in years. Um, did a lot of stretching, the a lot of foam. <laughs> 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 So I, I, it's definitely you worry about it a lot more going into Moab because you are super tired and um, don't feel ready for it. But I think you can be pleasantly surprised with how good you'd feel if you really focus on the recovery between the races. And so did for you guys, have you guys both done Moab just one time or multiple yes. times? Okay. Yeah, just the first year. Just the first year. Yeah. And, and so... I assume you guys are both ultra runners, uh, the shoe company running for ultra. I mean, were you using the gator trap system for the sand? I mean, were you using that for the whole 200, like all the triple? And then specifically Moab, I found it really helpful for keeping sand out and keeping blisters down. Did you guys utilize those? They didn't They didn't have them that year. Ooh, gators? No, no, gators. We use gators, but the, 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 the two-point? The, just the two-point. We didn't have the four points that okay. year. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, yeah, of course, we uh, definitely use gators. Definitely. Interesting. Yeah, there's, even for, like, Moab, um, like, I, I I feel that when you're on Slick Rock, that road shoes are better than trail shoes. Um, that's just my personal belief. <laughs> um, so, for Moab, I used a lot of road shoes over trail shoes, and I... Um, if you know anything about our gator system, you, you need the gator, the you need the technology on the trail shoes for the gators to work. Um, so I, I glued some stuff, I glued some Velcro on the back of my road shoes so I could still use gators at Moab. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, I used I I used road shoes the entire Triple Crown too. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. I'm going back and forth. I think I'm going to go with the Olympus probably some of the older versions that I've stocked up on. Um, and then, uh, you know, the company is nice enough to send me the 3.5s, which seem really awesome. I haven't tried them out. I'm going to test them out like a little bit over the weekend and I'll have a pretty good idea. Um, but that added cushion, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Do you plan on changing your shoes during the races? Um, like within the race? Yeah, are you yeah. a one? Yeah, I'm definitely going to take probably three pairs. And I will probably end up buying a half size larger than I normally wear just as a backup. Yeah. So I always yep. wear a half size larger, but then with all the pounding of 42,000 feet of, of gain and descent at Bigfoot, I'll have the size 10s available most likely just as a backup so that I can get my foot in if it's swollen 
Yeah, it's very smart. Yeah, that's what I did too. I mean, how many pairs of shoes did you guys wear during each race? For me, for me, like I can easily go through a hundred mile race on the same pair of shoes and be fine. But for this, I this is like a mental like a way for me to mentally get through it. I mentally prepared to change my shoes every 45 to 65 miles um just especially at bigfoot with all the water crossings i i I believe it's a really good idea to change your shoes and socks a fair amount of times um you know you sit down and reset you eat you apply some more lube you put on dry shoes dry socks so for me i did it every roughly 50 miles i was probably going to bring five pairs of socks um, or at least have five available and then probably three pairs of shoes and a whole lot of squirrels, nut butter, even though they're not a sponsor. That's what I use. Um, so really, be at the race too, apparently. Oh, really? So, yeah. Candace said that they'll be at most of the aid stations. Oh, good. Yeah. Makes it easy. Yeah. I, I like the drop bag, uh, that travels with you. Talk about like someone having a moment of genius. <laughs> How they like move each drop bag forward with you as you progress through the race, like it's seriously, it's brilliant. Um, Ben, how many pairs of shoes do you wear during a two hundred? So uh, Moab or I'm uh, sorry, Bigfoot, I only wore one pair of shoes. Uh, Tahoe, I wore one pair of shoes, and then um, different pair. Obviously, I didn't use the same ones. I just uh, <laughs> that would be and amazing. then yeah. Um, and then, uh, Moab, I used one until I had that issue with the planner. Um, once I came into porcupine, I switched to a new pair just because they were stiffer from the broken in pair. And it, uh, it just allowed me to strike a little bit different because I couldn't, couldn't flex my foot. I could have to strike flat without any type of flexing and pulling on that tendon. And so, um, I just put on a new pair. So that was the first time I used two pairs for that particular uh, race. And even my 300 last year, I used uh, uh, only one pair of uh, Lone Peaks. And then just one section, I tried the Olympus to see if that would help an issue I was having. And, mm-hmm. it, and it didn't correct it. So I just went back to the Lone Peak. So basically 280 miles on the same shoe. That's awesome. Um, at, the, at the 300. Yeah. I was talking about my buddy. I think he ordered a pair of Lone Peak 4s, and he was on the AT, and he's like, yeah, these only lasted, like, 600 miles. Like, <laughs> I was like, like, do you really re- – Dave, do you really realize what you're saying here? Like, I'm I'm happy, honestly, if I get 75 miles off, like, a sale, a clearance pair of shoes. So, um, so – I mean, I've I've harped on Moab a lot, and I hope the listeners not sick of it because we're going to be talking about it more this year. But, um, what was your guys just to continue with the routine, like kind of favorite high moments of that race after you've done two enormous efforts, high moments and low moments during Moab two forty. Uh, high moments for me was the Salles because I finally got a mountain to climb. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was I was so happy to be going up straight up that mountain. I was like I was loving it. No more fire road or road or uh 
riverbed, you know, uh, it seemed like that was, I, I felt like I was back home, you know, as back in the mountains, back in Aspen. Go, going and, into wind whistle. Oh my gosh. I still wake up screaming sometimes. <laughs> so flat, so flat with the headwind. Ugh. What was your low point, Ben? Uh, my, my low point, uh, I had two, um, we came into, it was, it was just a, a bad situation. We came into breaking bad. Um, and there are some mi- miscalculations on, uh, some of the water. And, uh, so we didn't have, um, the water that we needed and it basically, I got sick at that point. Um, and, uh, from that point over to, I think it's hamburger. hamburger yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a real rough section where I found myself laying, um, with my head underneath a cliff rock just to keep from shade and trying to stop convulsing and, uh, locking up and, and everything. Jeez. And oh, so once I got through that, everything turned really great. I started picking up the pace, started, you know, moving up the ranks. And then my, my, uh, uh, just coming down to Duha Lake, I was just, I took a step and it felt like a tree branch shot through my foot, but it was that tendon. And, uh, from that point on, it was just, <laughs> it was just a whole lot of Hang on. Yeah. pain, pain to the end, you know? So, but, um, it, you know, I, it was an amazing experience. The whole thing, like, just like anything else, you, the, those hard times are totally subdued, you know, like put off in your mind and it's all the, the glory that just stays. And, you, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jealous that Mike's, going after the triple again this year, you know, it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, like I just, I know what he's, the, 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 I know what he's in for and it's, it's kind of, you know, I'm jealous. It's amazing. I mean, to do it once, I think I'll be satisfied for quite some time. Um, (laughs) and Ben, I think it's really cool that you're, you're crewing, you're crewing or pacing or both, uh, at Bigfoot. Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, crew pacing him at Bigfoot, um, and then I'll be working an aid station at uh, Moab. You're like Mr. 200. That's awesome, man. <laughs> this will be the first first year I miss uh, Tahoe. I won't be at Tahoe. Well, I was, I was going to ask you to crew. Damn. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I won't be in the, I I won't be in the country. Uber so. Eats it is. All right. Um, Michael, what was the, the high-low for you at Moab 240? Because you really from watching that that ultra video on the triple crown that you did um it seemed like things got better for you at moab like you actually kind of corrected most of what was going on is that fair to say yeah um in terms of my personal experience the first 200 and this is the ironic part since this is the 240 miler and not the 205 or 6 like the other two but for the first 202 miles, I felt amazing. Um, no issues. I was coming in to the aid stations three to six hours ahead of what I told my wife I would be there. Um, yeah, it, th- things were good for Moab. But as soon as we hit the Porcupine Rim Trail, um, just you know, right there after the LaSalle's, um, I, I, I was running and the best way I can describe it is on one of my steps, it felt like my right shin exploded. Um, 
and I just I couldn't I couldn't walk I couldn't run without being in extreme pain and so from mile 202 to 240 I essentially walked it in just because of how much my leg hurt um yikes yeah I was in a boot for a little bit after it uh it it hurt a lot so I if only if only that if only the good 202 miles happened at one of the other two because I only would have had three or four miles to go as compared to yeah 36 more miles to go (laughs) yeah that had to be a really long long hike in I mean in extreme pain it's amazing both of you guys had those experiences I must uh, maybe I need to get mentally prepared to hike it in in extreme pain here you guys are setting the bar high um well and you experience this too but I'd say the thing that's the hardest the most about Moab is coming into the city and still having so many miles to go to get back to the finish <laughs> like it's torturous yeah yeah <laughs> distinctly remember running past the hotel that we were staying at like <laughs> like okay i'll be there in five hours but <laughs> but mike uh just remember uh, i don't know if you realize this but the course changed so now they actually the porcupine rim is the last section and then they end at that park or oh. right right by the park right across the street from the park so they don't they go through the town at the very first leg but uh the town is the finish now Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. It still felt like forever once you hit that bike path. <laughs> it was 5K in and it felt like it was a half marathon. Oh, that bike path, man. Your feet are on fire, like walking on coals on a, on a you know, like walking yeah. on coals. I, I mean, I was literally watching the sun come up for the fourth time and just kind of, I was hallucinating people at the bus stop. I, it was It was bad. I'm just glad I got in. um so thank you guys for so much time here i'm gonna end with sort of what's your last advice you you can direct it towards me going for the triple crown of 200s i mean do you guys have one or two extra insights as to what i need to do to do this i mean this is a pretty big undertaking i've only been running for like four years now and uh any advice you have, bring it on. I'm, I'm needing all the help I can get. So aside from what we've already said about like the specific training and how mental it is, <clears throat> I would say if your main goal is to finish these three races, um, I don't know how analytical you are before races in terms of like making split charts and whatnot, but if your main goal is to finish these three races, I would personally throw those split charts aside um yeah i agree yeah because i i think it's really easy to get into that mental funk um if you come into an aid station knowing you're three hours behind it's hard to look ahead and realize that you can make those three hours up easily um as soon as things turn around for you because it's i mean unless you're like break something it's fairly inevitable that things will turn around eventually in one of these races because you're out there for so long so don't get too caught up in the analytics of it all and just take each thing as it comes and, and really just realize your main goal is to finish. Yeah, it's great advice. I mean, and not even having crew or anyone at Bigfoot, I mean, it, it shouldn't matter. Like, really, I, I made splits for Moab just so the crew car could be there for the most part, you know, and have pacers where they need to be. But 
Yeah, I appreciate that. That's really helpful. Ben, do you have any kind of last words of wisdom for the Triple Crown? But he's just saying that because I just emailed him his, his, <laughs> his split chart that I made for him. I mean, I, I know, I know he's watching my Strava. He's just getting a little concerned. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, it's, it's so it's, and like what Mike was saying, what you're saying is everybody's uniquely different. I, I actually enjoy split charts to see where I'm, where I'm at so I can kind of gauge, you know, roughly where, where, where I'm at and where I can make up time and if I am making up time with the effort. But besides that, like, um, my advice would be one, don't get, I mean, in, especially those that are listening that are competitive, don't get caught up in the race the first day. Um, do stick to your plan and your effort level. Um, I like to, I like to, compare it as like a like a prius in a way you don't want to burn up all your your uh, battery and then only have to rely on the gas you want to be able to um basically uh move at a steady pace and a efficient pace um it, so often people will blow up that first day um don't get caught up in in the race and just know that you know if you stick to the plan and you you pull back just a tad, push forward when you need to, but pull back and um, keep eating, keep drinking, and you know get get the rest you need. Take care of your feet, and you'll you'll end up so much farther ahead by the end than you would if you went out like a bat out of hell, didn't check and didn't take care of yourself the compound effect of, of things falling apart at the end is just going to be overwhelming and more likely you'll, you'll quit because um, you got too many things going wrong that yeah. you can't really correct and you just feel too overwhelmed. So uh, if, if you can just take care of the things, be patient and, and correct those little things as you go and just enjoy the ride, it's just going to be that much better and you're just going to have that much overall better success in, awesome. in, in finishing. I appreciate it guys. Where Michael, we'll start with you. Where can people follow you on social media? Um, just, just Michael John McKnight on Facebook. And then <laughs> I really should change this, but my Instagram, <laughs> name, <laughs> my Instagram name is uh, dirty Mike 89. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's my favorite. <laughs> If you change it, I won't be able to find you. <laughs> ben, where can where can people follow you? Uh, you can you can search my name. The best thing to do is search my name Ben Light on Facebook, and then uh, Ultralight 7 is my uh, Instagram handle for uh, for Instagram. Awesome guys, I really appreciate it, and uh, I I just thought it was a unique episode. The fact that we're talking to roughly five percent of anyone who's ever finished the triple crown during this episode. So it was a good time. You guys really helped me out a lot and I'll, I'll see you both out at uh, Bigfoot 200 here in a week. So thank you guys. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. And that's episode 101. Big thank you again to Michael McKnight and Ben Light. Really appreciate their time. And it's off to Bigfoot 200. So I know my why, I'm in the best shape of my life. Now it's just time to execute a good race and 
and dig and just keep going because I have good perspective and I think that is sometimes the most important thing going into an ultra. So I have great perspective. Check out my Instagram profile if you're looking to track me throughout the race. I am bib number 200 and just appreciate your guys' support. Whenever I put something out there, I I can read almost all the comments and I just I love seeing the support. So I appreciate you guys and I'll have um Hopefully a cool race report coming up here soon. So I will, um, I'll talk to you guys in a week. Don't forget to enjoy your training. See ya.